Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. You're listening to the Everything F1 podcast, driven by the fans, for the fans. The F1 podcast. This is the Everything F1 podcast. Today we're talking all things Portimao, and we've got a great interview with Mark Priestley. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. Today, my team consists of Coops, Sponge and Danny. We're going to chat to you all about the Portimao Grand Prix. And we've got a special guest towards the end of the episode uh, of an interview that I recorded on Friday from Mark Priestley. F1 Elvis is here to just discuss his career and, of course, what he's up to nowadays. We are on all social medias. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. And our handle is at joinef one Don't forget to visit our website as well, www.everythingf1.com. First of all, we're going to go into our Portugal review. We're calling it Portimao Ponderings. First up, let's talk to Coops. What did you think of the Grand Prix in Portugal this weekend, Coops? Oh, it was riveting. <laughs> uh, Is that sarcasm I can hear? No, sarcasm from a Scottish person, really. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it was, it was a typical Grand Prix. Uh, I think the first two races spoiled us a wee bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was it was all right. There was just about enough to keep you going, but that was really about it. Mm-hmm. How about you, Sponge? Did you enjoy the race? I didn't enjoy the race. Um, there were a couple of couple of good moments. I thought Hamilton's overtaking was outstanding, as yeah. it always is. Uh-huh. Um, but you know what? There's one thing that I, I want to say, and this sums up the way that I saw that race I saw that race as hope that this kind of mix up with the sprint races might actually bring us better racing Oh, for the sole reason that that, that was a pretty boring race right last <laughs> year we came there for the first time yeah and everybody was all over the place they didn't they didn't have any data for the cars they didn't have anything so they were like right let, let's get to it it was it was a close race because there was so little preparation. Right. And I think this season it's kind of they've got the data from last year. They had three days of practicing or you know qualifying whatever mm-hmm. to get everything set up. There was there wasn't really any changeable conditions, and it ended up in a bit of a boring race. So I'm hoping that it gives us some hope that when things are a little bit chaotic. Uh-huh. as will be the case with these Sprint Grand Prix, that things might get a little bit more tasty. I hope they do. Yeah. That, that uh, was my takeaway from the Grand Prix weekend, I think. So it's actually changed your mind on sprint races. That's That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's got to be a positive to take away, at least. Yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the key talking points anyway from the weekend. Uh, obviously, let's talk about the Hamilton win. We'll go, we'll go over to you, Danny, first. Uh, were you surprised to see Hamilton on that top step? No, no, never am surprised to see him there, really. However, as <laughs> as Sponge touched on, uh, you know, them overtakes were, were unbelievable. 
And it just mm. goes to show, you know, the, the balls he had to throw himself into them is unbelievable, really. Um, you know, it, it was just showing that he is good yet again. Not that people listen, not that people watch and look and see and, and agree, but, you know, yeah. it's Hamilton. Everybody's always going to say it's the car. But uh, the <laughs> fact is, to have the balls to throw into an overtake like that at that speed is ridiculous, you know, and uh-huh. he knew exactly where he was going, knew exactly what he wanted, and he and he got it, yeah. So it's uh, it's difficult to go up against that, isn't it, really? It is, yes. It, I mean, it was a, it was, well, as you say, quite a, quite a flawless, uh, a flawless display of his his great driving skill, really. Um, wouldn't you say so, Coop? So you were you impressed with Hamilton this weekend? There's nothing. There's really nothing that he can do that doesn't impress me anymore. I mean, he's done it all now. <laughs> uh, when he doesn't do something like that, you know, it's more of a shock when he gets something wrong. Uh, what, like he's singing? Does his singing impress you? <laughs> I haven't heard them sing. Uh, oh, have you not? No, not with Christina Aguilera. No, I mean, I listen to like a Slipknot and things like that. I'm not really down with that kind of music. Yeah. Well, bounce. he probably there's there's probably something he won't impress you with then. No, no, I mean I was bouncing along to Metallica earlier on today, so you know Chris and Aguilera and Lewis Hamilton in a comment, uh, some sort of collaborations never going to float my boat. Uh, but no, it, you know if you on the racetrack on the racetrack, if he's going to see an opportunity, he's he knows how to drive the car. He likes the car. Mm-hmm. The car's working well enough for him if he's if he's got a sniff to do it. And I mean, let's be frank, if he's passing Bottas, it ain't going to be much of a challenge, is there? Really? <laughs> I mean, uh, there wasn't much of a fight against Bottas when he passed Bottas. Uh, I don't remember much against Verstappen, mind you. But yeah, well, there was a there was another great pass on Verstappen. But let's let's talk about Bottas then, because um, obviously he was. He was present at the race. Uh, he did a brilliant, had a brilliant Saturday um, where he pipped, obviously, uh, Hamilton to pole and uh, looked like a, a flawless uh, qualifying lap. Um, what what do you think about his race then, uh, Sponge? What, what kind of happened to that? Was he maybe running a different setup that just disadvantaged him against uh, Lewis? I don't really know with Bottas anymore, to be honest with you. I, I don't know whether he's just completely given up. Mm. I don't know whether he's... I don't really know what it is. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm lost for words with the guy, to be honest with you, because he seems to have lost anything. That he, Valtteri Bottas 2.0 seems to have been rolled back to 1.5. <laughs> no, he's gone further than that. It's 3.1. <laughs> I genuinely don't know what to say about the bloke. I don't, I don't know whether he's just kind of gone, yeah, right, and I'm never going to be as quick as Lewis therefore I'm not going to try as hard mm. I don't know but he's he's certainly not making any impression on you know like Nico did mm. you know when when he kind of you know took it to Lewis yeah Um. so I, I, again I'm I'm at a loss with Bottas I really don't understand and I, I do still think that if you put Russell in that car he would do a lot better job than Bottas currently is so I don't know. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> no, do you know, Danny? You got anything to add to to the to the uh, the enigma that is Bottas this year? No, I mean, it, I, th- I mean, we've heard Toto overcomes. You know, come on, Bottas, come on, Valtteri, you've got it, you've got it, you got. It. And, you know, you shouldn't be needing to do that, really. You know, and you can you can tell he's doing it as in, you know, the kid at the back of the race. Go, go on, that mm. little bit faster. You know, and <laughs> you know, gets the 
participation award at the end, you know, and then goes, <laughs> I did really well here. No, you're on the podium, but really, you know, you shouldn't be third. You you mm. really shouldn't be. And you should be battling for first and he, he never is. I just don't think I don't think he as much as he says he's got that fighting spirit and he says he has, I just don't think he's got it in him. When Mm. it comes down to it, it's just a bit wet flannel-like, isn't it? It's just he hasn't got that push to be able to, whether it's fear of um, a situation like against Russell, uh, Mm. you know, obviously um, that was Russell pushing himself into that situation. But again, you know, Bottas wouldn't put put himself anywhere near a situation like that with with Lewis. So maybe it is fear of, of, you know, pushing himself out the seat he's just got comfortable or I don't I don't think anybody has an answer I don't think Bottas well clearly he hasn't got an answer Toto hasn't mm. nobody has no I think he's just going to drift away to be honest and and go <laughs> he'll probably be uh, they'll probably do a swap with Williams next year and they, uh, that, that, that'll he can go back be, to Williams yeah he'll probably be happy back in a Williams uh, yeah, less yeah, pressure yeah. less pressure to perform I think maybe the car this year now it's not a perfect car obviously it's showing up his lack of skill maybe do you think, do you think that's the case Coops because uh, obviously this year's car is not as good as it has been previously um, with the changes to the rake and the you know some of the lower downforce uh, levels taken off or whatever it was that they've done what, what do you think Eh, uh, no, not the car, uh, because we've never really seen Bottas be a challenger to Hamilton at any time he's been paired up against him. Mm. It's not the car. He makes mistakes when he shouldn't be making mistakes. I mean, he made mistakes at the weekend. That's yeah. how Verstappen got second. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, of course, as, as Danny says, you know, he jumped. You've got Toto, sorry, jumping on the, the radio two races in a row, telling him, right, in layman terms, move your ass. <laughs> you know, come on. Uh, Toto doesn't come on the radio. I think the last time I remember him coming on the radio during the race was to tell Bottas to move over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he and makes that... when he makes those decisions, he'll do it. You know, he's a man of his word in that sense. He won't put anybody else under that kind of thing. But, yeah. Mm. Uh, no, I don't. As as everybody's saying, he's just not there. Uh, I think he knows the writing's on the wall. I don't see him being in the car next year. I think that's why Toto was so annoyed with, uh, with George Russell after Emma. I think he's already yeah. got the drive. I think he's been told. Uh-huh. So just stop trying to prove it. I think he pretty much got the drive after after he was in the the Mercedes in Sakia. I think he was told yeah. then. Uh, okay. Uh, Obviously, they're not going to say, oh, by the way, before the start of next season, Bottas, you're out. But mm. it's not, I mean, if you're in amongst the Mercedes team, you obviously have a feeling there'll be something there. I mean, he'll be a great driver for a mid-team, you know. You Bottas and a McLaren, if it wasn't for the fact you had Ricardo and Norris, he would be decent. Bottas and Aston Martin, if they can sort the Aston Martin out, he'd be decent. Yeah, he's just not. He shouldn't be in a Mercedes. I've said that for a while now. So, well, uh, let's see. We've got Spain coming up. Let's see if he can uh, change his fortune this uh, for this season. Uh, at least get a, get a win under his belt. Well, Hamilton's won the last four in a row. Yeah, at Spain. Mm. So <laughs> you may yeah. you may do but a Rosberg I mean, the... and punt him off and then try and win. You know, we've seen that in Spain. <laughs> the odds are against it. Um, let's go on to the second place, uh, the sec- second step 
um, person, and that was Max Verstappen. Obviously, we, we mentioned earlier that uh, Lewis Hamilton had a great overtake on uh, on Max to, to put himself, obviously, in the winning position. Um, but Max wasn't being his usual kind of, you know, spoilt child self. Afterwards, you know, he was quite humble, and he, he said, you know, at the end of the day, Lewis Hamilton, the, the, the best man won. He, he's got that extra millimetre that he his, is required um, to win a, a championship over the rest of us. Um, were, were you surprised to hear that, that, those kind of words and that humble kind of maturity coming from Max's mouth sponge? Yes. <laughs> Very. I was, I was there, I was like, all right, someone's broken Max. Can we have the real one back, please? <laughs> Don't know what's going on here. I didn't really know what to what to think. Has he gone up in your estimations? Because I know you're not a Max fan. Has do, do you think does that, has that gone? Well, hang on, maybe he's getting somewhere. Possibly, I think when you do things like that, you've got to walk the walk, not just to talk the talk. So, I, I do think that his actions on track as well kind of suggest that maybe he's maturing as well. Yeah. Because I think Hamilton's move um, when they were coming down to T1. Maybe, maybe Max of a year ago or a couple of years ago would have tried to hang that around. I don't know, but I, I, I was surprised. I think he's the, is the right thing to say. But like I say, let's see, let's see if he talk, if he walks the walk as as well as uh, talking the talk. So, Danny, what what are your thoughts on Max's uh, maturity this weekend? And obviously, he he got the second place, which is where he wants to be if he's not on the, on the top step. So. Try to save as many points as possible. Obviously, try to get that fastest lap at the end as well. But unfortunate, due to another track uh, limits infringement, he did lose that uh, extra point. But yeah, do you, do you think he's he's coming to this season with a, a more mature head? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, as, you know, I said um, a little bit ago, I could see him growing up a little bit. You know, and uh, especially comparing to last year, mm-hmm. you know, th- there's a big difference. As as Sponge said, you know, he he'd always sit exactly where he wanted to be and no matter what was going on around him. I mean, there wasn't a single qualifying that went past where he didn't complain that somebody was in his way. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> this is my track. This is me that's supposed to be here. Nobody else. Everybody go away. That's not how it is, you know. And mm. I think he is maturing and that, that's an important, you know, that's an important step for him as well. You know, because then he won't... I mean, a lot of people are pointing out after, um, after qualifying, was it, where he pushed the camera away? You know, immediately after, because he was disappointed. Mm. Uh, you know, and people look at that and they go, "Well, you know, he's, he's been a child." Well, he's not actually, because you know, after what he's just done, he's just got out of the car, he's just got back, he's disappointed in himself because he knew he could have got that bit faster. I think there was another yeah. second and a half in the car, really, mm. and he knew that, and he was disappointed in himself. You know, and imagine if somebody came up with a camera in your face whilst you mm-hmm. discuss it, especially you stood talking to Perez, you know, and that'll be about the car and the car's performance and what he thought the car was running like and what Max was and comparing and, you know, comparison. Mm-hmm. And then the push a camera in his face, I think it's a bit unfair to judge him at that point. You know, it, it, it's the whole, like, as I said a couple of weeks ago, you know, after the Russell um, incident again, yeah. you know, the adrenaline's going even more so after a crash, obviously, but even just after driving the, driving, the adrenaline's going and then to immediately go over to somebody and judge how they're reacting in that, you know, at that point is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't think that's a fair, a fair assessment of w- whether he's growing up or not, really. Um, I mean, when he got told about not getting the fastest lap, you know, there was disappointment, but there was no, 
throwing his toys out the pram sort of as you would expect Max to and instantly complaining. It was just all right. I didn't realise about that. Okay. You know, and again, you know, everybody yeah. takes the piss and goes, you know, what a kid. And it's like, oh, come on. You know, come on. Got to give him a chance a little bit, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Im imagine just thinking you've got the fastest lap at least for that one extra point, which at the minute is quite important between the two of them, between him mm -hmm. and Lewis. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I'd be throwing my toys out the pram. You know, I'd certainly be <laughs> reacting a bit worse than just, all right, didn't realise. You know, okay. So that I think that alone has shown he's grown up a hell of a lot, really. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, same... absolutely. I agree with you. He's, he's gone up in my estimations this season. He's, uh, you know, been performing uh, very well. Um, it's been interesting to watch uh, without being dangerous and without being putting, you know, other cars off the track, which is, you know, really good to see. Um, let's talk about his teammate Perez because he he, play, he played a bit of a he played a bit of the uh, second man kind of uh, game this this weekend. He kind of supported his teammate. Um, obviously, they they eked him out on fifty two laps on the same set of tyres. Uh, what have you got to say about Perez's performance this week, Coops? Perez done what Perez was signed to do. Uh, I mean, he's there to be the number two. Uh, we know his race pace is good. We know that. He has the talent to use his tyres and nurse his tyres for a, for, a for a lot longer than any other driver can. That's one of his main talents. So, you know, he wasn't forgotten about. It was a case of, right, you've got a handle of the car. That's a couple of races in. You seem to be doing well in qualifying. You're up the front. So let's use you like we're supposed to use you. They wouldn't have done that last year with, you know, Albin, you know, sitting in 10th. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, he done exactly what he's supposed to do. He's there to help Verstappen. If Verstappen's not able to be at the front, if he's been taken out or reliability, then he can try and take the points away from Mercedes. That's the whole reason he's there. Absolutely. And he's doing a good job of it, isn't he, Sponge? Yep, absolutely. Like the Coops has said, he's doing exactly what he was brought in to do. Um, he's, not the, uh, he's not the number one driver. Um, no. But he's, he's. I think this weekend was the first time that he'd really had a, a kind of proper run. Yeah, he had a um, solid race, didn't he? I mean, he, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so a, much a good so he weekend got the, as well. Yeah, so much so he got the driver of the day uh, for the exactly. for the race. So yeah. uh, you, you know, obviously people are, are witnessing it. People are seeing it and and seeing how good he is being, uh, and how kind of comfortable he's probably the most comfortable new boy uh, to a team. Um, would you agree with that, Danny? Yeah, def well, yeah, definitely. I think um, he's a. Uh, I mean, it would have been Ricardo, but he's. I don't know what's happened with him, but uh, mm -hmm. Perez has got very comfortable. Yeah, uh, but he's doing what he's good at doing. You know, he can drive. He is. He's. He is good at that, and he is a good second. As much as they keep shouting, they haven't got a one-two. They have yeah. got a one-two. <laughs> it's. Uh, yeah. He is a second driver, but he'll know that. You know that he's. He's sensible about it. He knows what he's there to do and he's doing it you know and that's mm. um yeah I, I, i'm still back in red bull for the constructors because i think um his his reliability is what's going to matter and if we can keep if they can keep max and perez up at the top uh the way bottas is going at the minute i think getting constant big points like that is going to uh pip them to the post yeah, maybe. That's one to one to kind of visit later on in the season, I think. Uh, so we'll talk about uh, next. We'll talk about McLaren and Lando Norris, who's doing absolutely brilliantly. Uh, obviously, collecting as many points as he can 
uh, on his way uh, around the track. He came in fifth uh, this race. Were you impressed, Coops, with, with Norris's performance yet again? We're talking about Norris, you know, taking as many points, you know, scoring the best of the rest. Yeah, I mean, he's doing what he said he would do. He's he's had to up his game because Ricardo's in the team now, so he's had to show that he deserves to be there to, uh, against a, you know, a very talented number two driver. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he's been in the top five now for three races. He had a place, got a podium. He's had fourth. He's had fifth, and he's slowly yeah. but surely just showing, you know, quietly, right? You know, I'm a potential world champion. You know, I think at the start of the season in another podcast, I said, I don't know what it is that he's not quite in the same conversation as George Russell. And he's changing Mm. my mind. Uh, Yeah. You know, but I mean, it might be, I'm a wee bit reserved on it because Ricardo took a good five races to get to grips with the Renault. Uh, And, you know, it was a bit disappointing. and, And then he kind of fired on and... Lando Norris has, you know, as as the season kind of goes on, can can kind of fall away a wee bit, whether yeah. that's the car or whether it's the situation or just him himself. So you know, there's they, we've got to be a wee bit reserved with it, but it is nice to see. Uh, I think the next couple of races we've got this one, and then a couple of weeks it's Monaco. So you know, if he's still kicking about the top five by the time we finish Monaco, you know, uh, I think there there should be some serious kind of raised eyebrows and kind of thinking, right, okay, uh, he's kind of the real deal Anticipation. now. Anticipation. Yeah. Anticipation for the future, really. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it'll cement third, I think. McLaren are slowly looking like what Red Bull used to be like, in a right. sense of you had Mercedes away at the front, then Red Bull, then nobody near Red Bull, then it was the midfield. And the minute you've got Mercedes, Red Bull, McLaren, then the midfield. It, and it's, you know, Ferrari are kind of kicking about, you know, Aston Martin, they've fell away because they're not handling the regulations right. Alpha Tauri just can't keep consistency, you know. So, you know, I think McLaren are just that half a step in front. So they are they're showing themselves to be a proper third place team. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about his teammate then, because obviously you, you mentioned Danny Rick there and obviously he's not necessarily 100% comfortable with the car just yet um sponge what what did you think of danny rick's race was he did you did you notice him much or was he you know maybe a bit absent um i I didn't notice him a lot to be honest um he was just kind of there yeah um i think we've all we've already touched on it and i think it's it's been said again tonight he takes he takes a bit of time to get up to speed with with a new car yeah um he did it at Red Bull. He did it with um, Renault, mm-hmm. and I, I do. I, I still, I still stick by my my prediction um, that he will come through at the second half of the this season. But I do think he was a bit not anonymous, but mm. he he was he was obviously still getting up to speed this weekend. I think absolutely. But are you happy with the way the McLaren team are, are scoring points consistently? Uh, you know, they just they've just got. A good team so far at the moment. Yeah, yeah. best, best I of think, the best. I think excited is the word. Really, really excited <laughs> as to what what might happen. I think they could get one or two wins this season. Oh, that'd um, be great if the stars it? align. Uh, certainly, they should be looking at podiums this season. Yeah. Um, well, we've already had one. Yeah. So I, I'm very excited. I, I'm I'm looking forward to the next couple of years. I I, I think with the team that they've built 
with the structure that they've built, I think they're going to be one of the one of the teams, a little bit like Mercedes did with all the changes when Hamilton went over to them. Yeah. I think McLaren are going to be one of the teams to hit the ground running really quickly when these new new regs come in next season. So, yeah, I, I really hope I really hope that they're they're back on the on the uh, podium to stay. Absolutely, me too. Me, absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, we're we're all, as we say on every single podcast, not so secret McLaren fans. Uh, so it's it would be great to see them, uh, you know, getting those podiums as you as you mentioned. Um, tell you who else looked better this weekend. That was the Alpine drivers. Now they, they've obviously cut, scored. It's their best finish uh, of the season so far, with both of them in the points uh, at seven in Ocon in seventh and uh, Alonso in eighth. Um, what do you think? What do you think's happened to that car, Danny? That 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 means that they are they are now performing slightly better than they were previously. Yeah, I mean it was great to see, wasn't it? Um, I mean um, Alonso has really put his foot down now, hasn't he? He's, he's settling in pretty well. Um, yeah, I think he said um, the qualifying um, on Saturday annoyed him. How it mm. went, he was really annoyed by that. So he brought that anger into Sunday and did well. Right. Yeah, yeah, they did really well. So um, it, it's good to see them progressing. Yeah, definitely. Have you got anything to add about uh, Alpine Coupes? Yeah, I, I saw something uh, today that Mercedes and Alpine both said that the reason that they performed better was to do with more to do with the Portimao asphalt. For some reason, it actually isn't as abrasive. Like the W twelve for Mercedes has an issue with lighting up its rear tires. And the Portimao yeah. asphalt, asphalt didn't do that or help to keep that at bay. And that was part of the reason with the Alpine. Uh, I mean, the Alpine car is a steady car. It's a decent car, but it's not fast. The engine is no. not fast enough. Uh, I mean, they've got a foundation to build on it and they've got Alonso in the car. Ocon's slowly but surely becoming a dependable race driver and he's starting to show why... You know, uh, Toto Wolf liked him. Uh, yeah. You know, quietly. Uh, but yeah, I think I don't think they've made major strides forward just yet. I think it was just circumstance for the track. You know, Red right. Bull struggled with the grip throughout the whole weekend. Uh, done well to get where they got, whereas Alpine were able to use that to their advantage a bit better. So. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I think there needs to be a bit more development with them. Uh, hopefully, by the tur- you know summer break, we might see them regularly in the top ten. Uh, I don't think they're going to be quite up. I don't think they're going to really feature as a best of the rest third place constructor for the whole year. But you you did you did see the the, the difference of this race, and obviously you're saying it's the asphalt that that, that helped them with that. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about kind of an uncharacteristic thing, actually, um, from uh, the Alfa Romeo of Kimi Raikkonen. Now, you, you very rarely see uh, these sorts of things coming from Kimi because he's such a, an old hand. You know, he's a very, very mature racer. He's been driving for years and very, very, very occasionally makes a mistake. Uh, very occasionally, in fact, that it's been a long, a very long time. Um, but he was just basically caught napping, I think, uh, going around a corner. Uh, into turn one onto the main straight, and he drove he drove into the back of his teammate. Um, I think he said he was playing with the dial on the steering wheel. Um, is this the beginning of the end 
for Kimi Raikkonen is what I'm trying to get to. Do you think so, uh, Sponge? I think I think the end of Kimi Raikkonen is when the team decides that it's the end of Kimi Raikkonen. Right. I think Kimi's just content to just keep going round the track. To be honest with you, <laughs> I think he's he's got his family now. I think you know he's like, if you want me to drive for you, I'll drive for you. Mm. I'm not going to stick my neck out. I'm not going to take any risks. Mm. I'm just I'll just be there and I'll drive your car. I think it's been like that for a couple of seasons now. So I think. If if anybody wants him to drive for them, he'll be like, okay, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'll I'll enjoy the nine million and yeah. driving the fastest cars in the world. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who wouldn't at the end of the day? <laughs> but then uh, you know, equally, I don't think, I don't think he would like actively turn around and say, I, I'm I, I don't want to race anymore. Hmm. Um. So yeah, I think it's up to the teams. If if they want him to race, then he'll race. If they don't, then he's like, oh, okay, I'll just go and drink some beer then. That's fine. Don't mind. <laughs> Coops, it doesn't make any difference to me. It's fine. <laughs> Coops, what do you think? Is it uncharacteristically a mistake from Kimi Raikkonen? Do you think uh, Do you think it's the beginning of the end? It's been the beginning of the end of Kimi Raikkonen for about three years. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a very long ending. I mean, this is just his hobby. And, you know, yeah, Kimi. The best person to replace Kimi is Kimi. I don't think it's the team's decision on whether Kimi finishes. I think it's his decision whether he finishes. I think he's the one that will decide. Uh, the team did say something like that, didn't they? You know, we'll, we'll give him a place as long as he need he wants it. So that was at the start of the season, which I was quite surprised to hear. Um, they obviously respect him and and think that he can see see the development that he can bring. To I mean, team. I think he he might decide at the end of the year. Do you know what? I don't really want to do another rules set. You know, new regulations of learn a car. I just want to go home now. He's made his millions. <laughs> I mean, he made an obscene amount of money when Ferrari paid him not to drive when they wanted. He was the highest, dri- highest paced driver not driving the Formula One. Ah, yeah, well, it was like thirty million dollars <laughs> or something to go home, like on yourself. <laughs> not yeah, to bother. I watched. I watched uh, TV for a year. Uh, no problem. <laughs> uh, so you know. It was a silly mistake, whether it was, I think I read something, whether it was a dial thing, I'm sure he said something about he got caught napping with the with the strength of the, 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 the slipstream uh, yeah. and, you know, caused the wind to get caught under the front wheels, he couldn't steer, so he wasn't going to ever get it back to the to the pit. You know, the Alpha's a decent car, it'll be alright. Uh, Kimmy will decide what Kimmy wants to decide, so, you know... <laughs> Yeah, the only absolutely. issue I have with it is, you know, there's so many decent drivers. You've got Callum Eilert, who's now, you know, a test driver in Alpha. You've got Oscar Pristari, uh, I'm sorry if I butchered his name, and uh, F2, uh, Swartzman for his second year in F2. There's three drivers off the top of my head that all deserve to be in a Formula 1 car. And he's keeping a seat for himself. And he's had a world championship, he's made his career, he's just there, you know. We want somebody in an alpha like Leclerc did that year he was in alpha and fling it in places it shouldn't really be, mm-hmm. you know, and take a chance. Why does Kimmy want to take a chance going at 200 mile an hour? Why, why would he do that? You know, Callum Eilert would. Because they yeah. want to show the rest of the world that they deserve to be in a Ferrari or a Mercedes or a Red Bull. So He's got something to prove. You know. Maybe, maybe you know, even I could say it. Maybe not to the same extent for Alonso, because Alonso's in a car and showing something. But you know, 
you know, we're coming to a point now where the next generation need to be in. And I think there needs to be a bit, I think some team principals need to have a bit bigger cojones and start bringing in the young ones and giving them a shot. Because what's the worst that's going to happen? Mazepin's on the grid, so it can't get any worse, <laughs> to be fair. So, well, it can't get any worse, and it's a great no. segue that you say, that you say Mazepin, <clears throat> Um, because he was the next on our list to talk about. He is basically the mobile, uh, the the moving mobile chicane. That was uh, Ta- Taki Anui even tweeted that. <laughs> now that was a legendary. He tweeted that and said that Mazepin is the mobile chicane. He was fifty. <laughs> this is a guy who came out at the start of the season said he was going to show that Mick Schumacher was a fraud, and he's fifty seconds <laughs> behind him, and he got lapped by George Russell and a Williams. Mm. That's all you need. The defence rests your honour. Prosecution rests your honour. You know, I... but he may still get better. He's got time. Give him some time. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Give him a bit of a chance. Well, I mean, Glenn Freeman mentioned it in a, in, uh, when he was here at the pod last time. If you listen to the onboard, he's got a bit of an attitude on him. You know, shut mm. up. I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. Let me get on with it. No, no, no. I'm going like no. You're a kid. Listen to what we're telling you. Take it in. Be respectful. Take it all in. We don't ex- like. This is the time for Mazepin to show. Like no one is expecting anything from any of those two drivers. The car mm. is a dog. The car is going to be a dog for the whole year until it becomes Mazepin Grand Prix next season, uh, where there's going to be some money put into it uh, and the new regulations. Uh, so just try not to act like. You've got you're the Formula One driver and you're Johnny Big Boys in the in the paddock because you're not. <laughs> Danny, what, what what are your thoughts on the mobile chicane that is Mazepin? He's just dangerous, isn't he? He's just dangerous. He shouldn't be on there at all. You know, it just gets in the way. He got in the way on Saturday. He got in the way on Sunday. If he's not spinning, he's in the way. He's uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what he, he he he's not ready, is he? That's the problem. I mean. Yeah, and as you said, that that's the worst part, you know. On the radio, he, he's, you know, leave me to it, leave me to it. You know, we are, and you're crap. You know, so just listen <laughs> to what we're telling you to do, and you might get that little bit better. You know, it, and he just won't. So you know, if you if you've got that overconfidence, where you're just saying, um, you know, shut up and leave me to it. To what? Leave you to what? Getting in the way. You know, there's no word. I mean, and then they say, you know, we're, we're going to have to improve the um, the comms during races so that things like him getting in the way of Perez uh, isn't going to happen again. You know, but if your driver isn't listening, you're not going to, you know, be constantly on the radio to him because how can you be? You know, it's uh, he's not listening. You could, t- I, I imagine, you could tell him, and he doesn't really give a toss. He's just doing what he wants to do. He's just driving it how he wants to drive, and he's just. My father owns this team. Yeah, I'm not going to lose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what that's exactly how that? it is. What country did that come from? <laughs> that's that's like uh, I thought that was like South <laughs> African one. <laughs> <laughs> that was my. Uh, uh, that's my. If he dies, he dies. That's my. I don't know. <laughs> Did, did you not get that? Was it not, not Rocky? Was it not Rocky Four enough for no, you? No, no. Now that you said it like that, it completely makes sense. Yeah. I think he said that as well, hasn't he? It sounded like even Probably. Drago had COVID when you were trying to say that. Yeah. Hey, I never said I was good at impressions, so uh, I, I apologise to our listeners for my very poor impression of Ivan Drago. Um, 
Yes, I mean, what do we think of the of, of the Portimao Grand Prix in total? I mean, everyone said it wasn't the most exciting race. There was enough um, I saw, uh, you, you know, in the race to kind of keep it a little bit interesting. They they made a, a good highlights package on Channel Four. Um, usually which do, is what, which is what I watched. Um, uh, so it kept me interested uh, in enough, um, but uh, you know it, it. It remains to be seen as an excellent race. Uh, do you agree, uh, Sponge? Yeah, I, I'm not going to remember it for very long. If I'm completely honest with you. But how about the how about the track itself? Do you think we'll see it in future? I love the track. Yeah, I absolutely love the track. I I just. But why isn't it giving think, us these? Why isn't it giving us these amazing races? I just think that that it was too much of a straightforward weekend. Mm. I think Formula One has got to that stage now, where when teams have data, when teams have weather that they can just lap, you know, one after the other after the other. Yeah. The reliability of these cars now is is it has to be that high that. They can just go around and get the data, and once they've got the data, they know exactly what they've got to do. So, you know, with DRS as well, DRS, damn you, DRS, <laughs> you, you, you don't get racing anymore. You know, that, that that Grand Prix proved as well, again, you don't get racing anymore with DRS. So, I think bring, in, bring back the uncertainty, let's see what these sprint race weekends give us. There's nothing in the sprint races that will make it any different because they still have to qualify, then they're still going to race. It'll still end up being the same as Portimao, but shorter. I don't see what, you know, reverse grids potentially, but then if it's reverse grids, the fastest cars just cut through and get to the front. It's a shorter race, there's less chance, like, if Max Verstappen's in second, he's not going to take a chance to dive down the inside of Hamilton for first, is he? Really? You mean you've got the Grand Prix coming up? I don't see mm. how a shorter, quicker race or one set of tyre for 20 laps is really going to make much of a difference. But, you know, I'll give it a shot. Maybe I'll We wrong. shall see. We, uh, Silverstone's not that far away. Um, so that's the first one where they're having the sprint races. Um, but that's pretty much our review of Portimao. I know there's, there's many other drivers that we haven't mentioned, but... It was it was not really an exciting race to uh, to talk about them all really. Um, I'll I'll do the race results now. It's Hamilton obviously was first, Verstappen second, Bottas third, Perez was fourth, Lando Norris fifth, Leclerc was sixth, which is probably a good result for uh, the Ferrari actually. Uh, seventh and eighth for Alonso and for Ocon and Alonso. Sorry, uh, Daniel Ricciardo in ninth, Pierre Gasly was in tenth, Carlos Sainz in eleventh, Giovinazzi twelfth, Vettel thirteenth. Stroll, 14th. And there you go. That's uh, an indication of how the Aston Martin's doing at the moment. Uh, Tsunoda is in 15th, or was in 15th. Then you've got uh, Russell in 16th. Schumacher in 17th. Latifi, 18th. Mazepin, the human obstacle, uh, in 19th. And then, unfortunately, uh, Raikkonen uh, DNF'd on the second lap. Uh, the fastest lap went to Valtteri Bottas in the end. Uh, as you say, Max Verstappen did try, uh, put on a new set of boots. Uh, towards the end to try and get that, but unfortunately exceeded track limits uh, and wasn't able to secure it. The DHL fastest pit stop went to Red Bull this week, which is actually really impressive, sure 1.98 seconds. Uh, yeah, they are very consistent with their pit stops. They must be, uh, I don't know, whipping them uh, just before they go out or something like that. You know, they're, they're certainly very consistent with that. Uh, and as we mentioned, driver of the day was Sergio Perez. 
One thing we need to talk about uh, over the weekend was we did have a social media blackout. Now, that wasn't just us that had the social media blackout. It was many other Formula One pages, many other football pages, many other uh, sports stars, uh, footballers, drivers. Uh, and it was basically a blackout on social media um, to stand against social media platforms uh, and the fact that they're not policing their platforms enough. They're not stopping bullying and they're not stopping racist remarks. And we stand by our social media blackout for the weekend. And we think this is the, the, the perfect way uh, of kind of getting back at those social media uh, companies so they can pull their finger out and do what they're supposed to do uh, and police these social media platforms and make sure that people, you know, aren't committing suicide because of their online bullying. Uh, we want to uh, live in a world where people don't get bullied online. Uh, and this is one step that we can make uh, and we had made to try and make that a possibility. So that was our race review and the slight bit of news that we had uh, from the weekend. Um, what we have got for you now is a very special treat. I sat down with Mark Priestley uh, the day before qualifying on Friday to chat about his career in F1, to chat about what he's doing nowadays uh, and of course make his prediction for the year. Uh, it's a great interview, really enjoyed doing it. Thank you very much Mark for coming on. Uh, enjoy and we'll speak to you soon. How are you? You're obviously, uh, you're, thanks for joining us on the uh, podcast. No worries. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm really busy at the moment. We're doing, um, I mean, I've had to sort of uh, cut back on some of my YouTube stuff and I'm in between series of my podcasts, which have been taking up a lot of time, but I'm, I'm in the middle of filming the, uh, the Wheeler Dealers series that I work on for uh, Discovery Channel. So yeah, between all of those things, you're pretty busy. But it's good to be busy, isn't it? Would you say you're busier now than you were as a as a mechanic for McLaren, or would you say you're you are busier <laughs> as a mechanic for McLaren? I think there's nothing busier than being a mechanic for McLaren. <laughs> Certainly, when I first started, it was it was crazy busy. But um, I mean, things have changed a little bit, you know, with the rules and curfews and those kind of things that have kicked in place now. But um, yeah, that was a baptism of fire when I first got into it on the test team back in the day when. Before health and safety was a thing, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for the uninitiated, can you explain uh, how it is? Obviously, we know who you are. Um, we follow your, your videos on YouTube. Um, but for our fans, maybe that, that might not know who you are, can you, can you kind of explain us how, how you were involved with McLaren um, uh, and F1, really? Yeah, so well, my background, kind of ever since leaving school, really, I went on to college from school to do a, a motor vehicle engineering, not not motorsport based, but motor vehicle mm -hmm. engineering. And then it was from there, really, that I got, I mean, I always had this, this kind of um, affiliation with motor racing, because I grew up next door to Brands Hatch, which okay. when I was a kid, that was actually where the British Grand Prix was held every other uh -huh, year. Yeah. So I always had, you know, the sound of racing cars in the background when I was growing up. So I always loved motor racing and it was definitely, as I got into my teenage years, something that I kind of realized late on in my teenage years that I realized, you know, as well as loving it and being a fan, there was nothing really stopping me, you know, making a career yeah. out of this because um, I'd had this fascination with the the technical side and the pit stops and that, you know, that whole operation. And um, so anyway, over, over time, I set my, my dreams on becoming part of one of those pit stop crews and um, it was a, a long drawn out process that was just me being relentlessly, um, you know, unforgiving in terms of every time I got a knockback with one of my letters, I'd, I'd keep going, I'd write back again, I'd 
go and try and gain the bit of relevant experience that they'd said I was missing in the previous letter and then write back again. And it was literally hundreds of letters <laughs> to every single team over a number of years. And eventually it was McLaren that, uh, well, I guess they caved in. I probably became such an annoyance. They eventually said, right, well, we'll at least bring him in for a chat. So um, yeah, that moment I remember very well, first of all, getting the letter back to say, you know, we'd love to come in for an interview. That was a, a dream come true in itself, just to set foot inside the factory. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, the moment they, off the back of that, the moment they uh, they announced or they, they called me to say I've got the job was, uh, I mean, certainly at that point, the single best day of my life and, uh, and a day that I'll never forget. And the rest, I guess, is history. But I spent 10 years at the team um, through a, a really successful period, I guess, with McLaren. It was, I joined at the tail end of the uh, Mika Hakkinen and, Coul and David Coulthard wow, era. Wow, good era. We had success, yeah, really good success with with those. And Mika uh, obviously had just won a championship when I arrived. Um, and we went right through uh, Kimi Raikkonen joining, um, Pedro de la Rosa and Alex Wurtz. We had Juan Pablo Montoya, uh, Kimi, of mm -hmm. course, and then Lewis and Fernando, uh, as well as a few others along the way. So I was very lucky to get there at a, at a brilliant time and work with some amazing people. Yeah, and it's, uh, sounds like a, an amazing time to be in Formula One. You obviously saw the back end of the V10s as well, which is, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, probably yeah. everyone's favourite sound from a Formula One engine. <laughs> well, I can, yeah, and, and mine too. And, uh, you know, that's something that I do feel incredibly privileged to have had because, you know, when you're part of a pit stop crew and you're sat, you know, half a metre away from one of those V10s and it's screaming away, bouncing off its rev limiter, trying to get, you know, leave the pit stop box. Um, that that feeling, that sensation is it's so hard to describe, but the brakes are red hot yeah. and, and you can feel that heat. There's the smells and the vibrations coming off the thing and the noise from that V10 was just mind blowing. So it's a brilliant, brilliant experience, both for fans, but also for us involved in it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, you, you, you experienced a, a few championship winners there then. Uh, well, a, a couple of uh, championship winners with Hakkinen and, uh, and Lewis Hamilton, I'm, uh, I'm guessing. So w w out, out of the two drivers, which, which do you prefer working for? Or, or even the whole, of, um, the whole of the McLaren drivers that you did work for? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually, because, um, I mean, the, the, the sort of typical question that a lot of people say is who's the best? And that's something that's really hard to answer. I won't ask you because, that one. I won't ask you that one. No, but it's, it's, the reason it's so hard is that, um, you know, things change over time. Obviously, the, the, the demands from an F1 driver to be the best F1 driver, the demands are different in different eras. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even if you just take those two, you take Mika Hakkinen and Lewis Hamilton, the sport had moved on an awful lot by the time Lewis Hamilton came into it. And, um, and there were two very different drivers, both at the top of their game. Yeah. I'd say the one I actually enjoyed working with most uh, was Kimi. Oh, okay. Um, and that's partly because I, I worked very closely with Kimi. I was on his car for the whole time he was at the team. We had some amazing success. We didn't quite win the championship, but we came incredibly close. Mm. And we had a really tight bond between him and and our little crew of people working around the car and that was something very special that i don't think we ever had to the quite the same level with anybody else right. um but of course winning the championship with lewis was in the way that it was won i'm sure most people remember mm -hmm. that race in brazil in 2008 it was um just a, an iconic sporting moment let alone an iconic formula one moment and to be part of that was amazing yeah well i remember shouting probably at the the top end of my voice uh during that and i can't imagine uh, how how loud it was in in that pit uh, garage at the time it must have been just well 
I'll tell you what the loudest thing was in that garage was Nicole Scherzinger, who was screaming her head off at the back of that garage <laughs> in the most high-pitched tone that I could still feel piercing my ears beneath my uh, my headset. So that's my overriding memory from that last lap was her screaming. And it took a few days for your ears to recover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but it was, uh, you know, they talk about um, emotional roller coasters in sports probably way too much. But I don't think anything describes that that last lap better. In that, you know, in one moment we uh, we we thought we had it, and then we thought it had gone uh -huh. away, and then of course the way it came back in the last corner of the last lap of the last race of the season, you know, it was just um, you couldn't you couldn't make it up. So very, uh, you know, it's it an amazing moment for us. Equally, I felt. In, I felt the heartbreak that those guys at Ferrari must have felt because they were in the opposite. They were in the same roller coaster, but on the opposite, you know, side of it. And um, I definitely had a, a moment in amongst our, you know, overriding joy, yeah. sparing a thought for them because it, it's just crushing when that sort of thing happens. Yeah, and obviously you, you saw, we saw on the on the videos and uh, and, the, and the, the live feed that they were all set. They were celebrating for for you know a yeah. few moments until they that unfortunate uh, engineer went over and said and broke the news to the, the family and whatnot yeah yeah <laughs> but it was a great iconic sport moment uh something that probably will go you know down in, in one of britain's favorite aspect uh, britain's favorite wins uh for, for a championship no, I, I think, think. so and it, i think when i look back over my my 10 years at the team if you mm -hmm. like you know we had some amazing moments some amazing race wins and uh, I think that one, not just because it won the championship, I think even if it wasn't a championship race, I think just the way it played out with, you know, going into the race, we only needed to finish fifth, despite whatever Felipe Massa did. And we had a car more than capable of doing that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the one thing we didn't need was changeable conditions. And of course, it absolutely <laughs> hammered down at various points in the race. So there was everything there to trip us yeah. up and it very nearly did. But um, to come, you know, to just get across the line in such a... A dramatic fashion was was a, a privilege to be part of yeah i can i can imagine how about the year before because the year before there's obviously a lot of tensions between uh, alonso and and the new boy lewis hamilton um w did you yeah. feel that within the team or was that just something that you kind of turned turned your mind off to you just got down and did you did your job right basically it was it was impossible to turn your mind off to it i think um you know by that point i was i was actually sort of moving to a more senior position in the team so i wasn't associated directly with either one of their two cars i was in the middle of the garage that mm -hmm. year so you know part of my responsibility is was keeping the the kind of keeping the calm and keeping the team working in the right way and it was it was an incredibly difficult difficult situation because I mean, essentially what happened was the two drivers fell out with each other. Yeah. And in a Formula One team, your drivers are kind of the sort of, they're leaders in their own right. You know, they're driving the car, but they're also the people that a lot of people within the team look up to for leadership and for guidance and um, inspiration at times. And uh, when they fell out with each other in such a public fashion, yeah. what happened over time was that the two sides of the garage kind of gravitated around their own drivers and it formed this big split down the middle. And um I mean, undoubtedly, it's the reason we didn't win the title that year because the team wasn't functioning in in the optimum way it should. We weren't working together as a team. We were fighting against each other. Um, and together with the whole Spygate, you know, drama that was going on yeah. that year and the um, the fine that came off the back of that, there's a lot of media, negative media coverage that year around us, despite the fact it was nothing to do with any of us in the garage, mm -hmm. of course. Um, it was very difficult to to remain focused. And when I look back on it now, it's we had a car more than capable of winning a championship that year. We had two drivers definitely capable of doing it. 
and yet we came away pretty much empty-handed and I can probably point almost all of that down to those distractions mm. and obviously how we allowed ourselves to be distracted from it yeah uh were you were you one of the pit crew during that um you know that 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 pit yeah. pit stop were you looking at the Alonso going get out of here we need to get him out yeah in Hungary yeah. yes um yeah but it, probably the most bizarre pit stop I ever did um yeah it was one of those weird ones where the, the whole stacking the drivers in the pit lane wasn't unusual that was all part of the process then it was that strange qualifying format we had where you had to burn fuel off in the early phase of qualifying so doing a lot of laps burning fuel off and then coming in for the the late tire change to go for your flying lap mm -hmm. it seems really weird to say it now but believe it or not that was the qualifying format we had <laughs> um so going through that process was all normal and actually it was al almost normal as well to hold your first driver in that scenario sometimes to wait for the right gap on the racetrack and we had planned to do that so it was fernando that came in first yeah. we had planned to hold him for something like six seconds i forget the actual number but that was all part of the plan and when that six seconds was up and he was getting a countdown in his ear yeah. of course he didn't move uh lewis by this point was queuing behind him and we had no idea uh, we had as much idea as everybody watching at home what was going on in the moment uh, until we sort of start to realize after five or six more seconds that fernando was checking in his rearview mirrors he could see lewis behind him and he was almost calculating with unbelievable accuracy how much he needed to hold Lewis up by for Fernando to get round and take the, the start his flying lap but for Lewis to not make it round and, and get caught out by the chequered flag so on one hand I was just you know it was disgraceful I was disgusted with the way the behavior of them yeah. both on that particular day because Lewis played his part as mm -hmm. well but on the other hand, I couldn't help but be slightly impressed by how accurately he managed to calculate that. Yeah, it was, well, as devastating as a, as a British supporter at the time. But uh, looking back at it, that's, uh, again, one of the, one of the iconic moments from uh, Lewis Hamilton's first year. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. he was a great rookie coming into the, uh, to, to the season. And Alonso probably thought he was, you know, if this was his season. Well, well, in all honesty, we all did. You know, we all thought that. And... Um, you know, I, I was very lucky to be part of this whole process because there was, you know, I learned a huge amount. Although we didn't come out of that first year successful, mm. perhaps that was probably the reason that we went on the following year to be successful because we learned so much from the failures of the year before. We were able to not repeat a lot of those. And um, yeah, one of those was that we all assumed wrongly in the end that Lewis would, you know, be the second driver, that he wouldn't be as quick in, in being a rookie mm -hmm. and um, that Fernando would lead the way. And very early on in that season, Lewis proved that he was as quick and on occasions quicker than Fernando and then therefore genuinely wanted his shot. And that was understandable. It's just that it caught a lot of people out, particularly Fernando. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, well, let, let's move on because we've got obviously got a short time, but it, it was one of my obviously fav favourite seasons. I'm a, I'm a not so secret McLaren fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm a British supporter, but uh, McLaren does, does have like a, a soft spot. Um, yeah. for for all of us on our team actually um what what made you finish with mclaren then what what what, what made you want to stay at home and, and not necessarily fly around the world was it family yeah it was um so i as i say by then i'd been there for almost 10 years so it's 2009 when I, I finally left we'd obviously just won the championship with lewis in mm -hmm. the end so i was kind of thinking about it i was thinking if there ever ever is a time to to step away from this lifestyle now's the time because we've just ticked the biggest box you can yeah. tick um, 
and uh, yeah, it was it was largely because I had young children, and um, you know, it was becoming more and more difficult to spend so much time away. Um, the irony was that a, a few years later, I was back doing pretty much the same level of travel, just in a in, in the media side of Formula One that I sort of somehow somehow found myself working my way into. But um, but that was the main reason. It was um, wanted a new challenge, wanted to to do some different things, didn't want to travel as much. And all of that felt like the right moment uh, to give somebody else a go. I was also painfully aware that there were a lot of people that used to write to me all the time asking how to get into Formula One. How could they break in as a mechanic or an engineer? And, you know, when I was trying to get in all those years earlier, the places are so limited. You know, it took me a long time, as mm -hmm. I said. It felt like if I wasn't 100% committed, if I was having doubts on this, it was the opportunity to let someone else have a go in this incredibly privileged world. Yeah. Uh, so all of that played a part in the decision. Yeah, and, and obviously you've turned your hand to to many other things. You say you, you've got your YouTube channel, which we uh, I personally watch quite a few of those videos. Uh, very insightful uh, information there. And um, what what made you think? Well, you know what? I'm going to try and, and do this for myself and and set up a YouTube channel. Well, well actually, the YouTube channel came uh, much later. The first thing that I realised that I thought or I, I figured out that I might like to try was writing. Right. So having had this this experience of Formula One from the inside. I began writing various articles for magazines and websites, and it was actually then the uh, the producers of the the BBC mm -hmm. uh, Radio Five live broadcast picked up on my writing and and got in touch to say, "Would you like to come and have a go at being a pit lane reporter for us at the British Grand Prix?" And um, I'd never really considered anything like that, but I jumped at the opportunity. It sounded amazing, and uh, when I went down there, I had the, just the best weekend, and I immediately fell in love with this whole idea of broadcasting. Um, and uh, and so from that moment forward, I, I did a uh, started to really push myself in that area, and I did a lot of work for Sky and a number of other broadcasters around the mm -hmm. world. And um, and then it was uh, I actually and I did some stuff with Formula E as well. And then eventually there came a point a few years ago where the job at Sky came to an end, uh, and then the Formula E job also came to an end at, at a similar time. And I had this kind of realization that um, you know if no one else is going to put me on telly, I'll do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so I kind of uh, decided to take it into my own hands and just um, have a go at playing around with YouTube. And uh, and actually, I've loved it. I've loved every minute of it because it gives you total freedom. Yeah. You know, I've had this set of experiences that not many other people have had, which gives me a, a chance to, to try and explain some of the things that are going on, both technically with the cars, but also operationally from the team's perspective, mm -hmm. um, because you can only really have that insight if you've been in it. And um so that's what I've tried to capitalise on, really, is to, to share that knowledge of understanding how the team works, what's going on behind the scenes. Mm. Um, and it's been a brilliant journey. I've loved it. It's been about three years now. And um, I've had to peg back a little bit just because I'm really busy with other things at the moment. But it's still there. I do a live show every Monday night. And I still really love it. Built a great little community around. Yeah, it is. And everyone seems to be, you know, quite friendly and, and, and chatty and, and helping each other out. It's, I, I say, I, I, I do watch the videos and I read the comments. So, yeah, you, you're, you're one of these fortunate people that have got quite a nice, uh, friendly community asking you plenty of exactly. questions. Yeah, they're a great bunch and uh, everybody's very active in it. And, uh, and as I say, it's... It's a nice bunch, um, so long may that continue. Well, let's talk about your your writing. Obviously, you 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 say you, you wrote a few articles, then you actually wrote yourself a book, didn't you? What was your what was your process for writing your book? Uh, it was a long process because <laughs> <laughs> um, up until that point, I'd only ever written you know articles for magazines, mm. um, you know, and uh, 
I was approached by a publisher uh, and asked if I'd like to, to do one. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought about it really up until that point. But I thought, yeah, why not? You know, I'm, I'm definitely one of these people that if an opportunity comes along, I'll probably say yes and then worry about it later. Um, so I did. I, I took on the, the challenge and um, it, I think it took me about a year uh, on and off doing, you know, in amongst all the other things. But um, it was actually once I got into it, it's daunting. It's one of those things. It's such a massive task when you sit down at the beginning mm. and you have your sort of, you know, targeted word count. And it's way more than you've ever, you know, typed out before <laughs> in your life. But um, it was actually a really nice because it was just a trip down memory lane. For yeah. Me, which is what was so nice about it. It was uh, digging up old stories, calling up my mates, asking, you know, do you remember this particular day or this night? And and that the process was kind of almost therapeutic in the end. It was a really enjoyable process, even though it was a long, hard slog mm. to actually type the words out. But I was adamant I wanted to do it all myself. You know, there was the chance of having a ghostwriter come and do it for you. But I was really adamant that it was my story. So I wanted to do it myself. And uh, in the end, I'm really pleased that I did. I'm pleased with the way it turned out. Brilliant. Yeah, it's uh, I haven't. Uh, I... <laughs> This is where I was supposed to say, yeah, I've read it, but I haven't. It, it is on the list, though. I've got Adrian Newey's book that I'm halfway through, and yours will be definitely the definitely one that I well, I hope I will enjoy. I will have a read of that. <laughs> uh, so you, you've obviously dab doubled in the, in the media. So you're now for Wheeler Dealers. You're doing uh, that program. How, how did that come about? Well, obviously, you're a mechanic, so it, it helps that way. Yeah. So the, that's another strange. My, my life post uh, McLaren has been a series of strange transitions. Mm. Um, you know, into this media side of things. So the Formula One media is perhaps less strange because it's an obvious connection, but the um, the Wheeler Dealer show is something completely different. It's not motorsport based, it's, it's car based, but not motorsport based. Yeah. But it came about because I'd done a, another show for Discovery, which was uh, motorsport based. It's called Driving Wild, and it was a few years ago. Um, you can still get it on the Discovery mm -hmm. Plus catch up uh, service, but it's it was about me going around the world, um, meeting up with kind of car groups uh, or car different car cultures in different places and then taking a building a team out of these people and, and then building a car or a vehicle to take part in some wacky events and it was it was things like uh, we did long tail boat racing in Thailand we did rallying in Sweden we did drag racing in Cuba uh, we built one of those kind of Mexican low riders wow. the, the bouncing hoppers nice. in Mexico <laughs> all sorts of stuff but it was all kind of competition based um, so it was a brilliant, brilliant show to be part of. And, and because that was Discovery Channel, I'd sort of forgotten about it after a couple of years. But then Discovery or the, the Discovery Network got back in touch and said there's an opportunity coming up with Wheeler Dealers. And, uh, and again, I thought, said yes, <laughs> without really thinking too yeah. much. Um, and now we're, we're heavily into filming the first the first series now. So it's been um, it's been great fun. Oh, good. Well, well, let's go back to Formula One then, um, because obviously that's, you know, what we, we are uh, primarily a Formula One page. Uh, what are your thoughts on this year's season? Uh, so far, obviously, we've only had two races, so there's not much to talk about. Well, I mean, it was quite an exciting race at Imola uh, last yeah. week, so there's a little bit to talk about. But what do you think uh, the, the, are the prospects for the year? Uh, are you are you looking forward to the close battles? Yeah, it, it looks like being a good year, doesn't mm. it, I think, because and this actually often happens the year before you change the regulations, because we've had a period of stability, relative stability with regulations. And I know we've had some tweaks this year, which are, are not insignificant on the aero side, but generally the, the power units have stayed the yeah. same. The cars are relatively similar. And so performance begins to converge over time. And it was actually the same at the end of the V8 era. Mm. 
that we actually had a great season towards the end because power uh, levels had kind of converged a bit and, and the racing became closer. And it feels like that's what we've got now, isn't it? Red Bull have definitely got a much more competitive car from the start, yeah. given that we've carried it over in the most part from last year. Mm -hmm. They haven't been hampered by their usual kind of tricky start where they figure out the new uh, elements to their, their, their car and, and develop it over the year. They've got a great starting point. Um, and I think, you know, Mercedes have perhaps been hampered a little bit by the, the aero tweaks to the floor and the rear brake ducts. Um, and it's, it's resulted in what seems to be a much closer pairing at the front. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about this year, I think it's going to be great if we do get Lewis and, uh, and Max battling it out all year, because people have, have wanted that for a long time. But some of the more interesting battles or other interesting battles are going to be with their teammates. So Valtteri Bottas, uh, Sergio Perez, mm -hmm. which one of those two is going to be strongest over the season? Because it could be those two that end up deciding the Constructors' Championship to some extent. Yeah. Um, you know, if Max and, and Lewis are going to be trading wins, how well is the other driver going to do? And that's, that's one to watch. Um, but then behind them, the battle's really close. I think McLaren looked really strong. Um, they've got Daniel Ricciardo still to get properly on song with that new car. But that's also the story of this year, isn't it? Where a lot of the drivers that have switched teams mm -hmm. haven't quite yet got to grips with their new cars. And that's a really interesting narrative to see who does get on top of that quickest because there's an opportunity for whoever does mm -hmm. to really take advantage early on in the season. So I think there's loads to, to keep us all interested this year. Absolutely. I, I, we, we were discussing uh, the, the team, uh, me, and, me and the rest of the team, that it could really come down to who has the fastest lap point. Um, what, what are your, do you, do you think this has added a, a spicy element to the, uh, to the championship, having the, uh, the fastest lap point? I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I hate oh, it. Oh, really? <laughs> um, I hate it. Maybe that's a bit strong. I just don't see the point. Right, of okay. It. I think um, I see. I see that because the point of this adding the fastest lap point was to try and add some element of of spice, maybe towards the end of a race, wasn't yeah. it? I can't think of. I don't think I can think of any occasion when I would say that we could say that's happened. I can't think of something where you could pinpoint some dramatic finish to the race because of the fastest lap point being awarded. Mm. And if if it hasn't done that, what is it doing? You know, I, I just don't, I don't buy it. I don't see that we need it. And I'm not massively against it. I think saying I hate it is probably a bit, a bit strong, <laughs> but uh, I'm not massively against it. I just don't see the point of it. Uh, and if we desperately feel the need to give out an extra point somewhere, for me, it would have been better to give it for pole position, perhaps, okay. or, um, you know, fastest pit stop even, or something like that. But in reality, I don't think we need it. And I'm not sure that it adds anything. So, yeah, not not a huge fan. But it might be the uh, it might be the decided issue. This is what we thought. We, we thought you know teams will be pitting their second second driver last minute just to, to make sure the other person doesn't get the extra point. You know. Yeah, but is that what we want to see on a Grand Prix weekend? Do we? Is that for me? That's not the incentive. Should be trying to get your second driver further up the field, mm. not bringing him in for a pit stop because he's got a huge gap in front uh -huh. of him. Um, so I don't know. It's one of those things that I do appreciate. It's going to be controversial to say it, but um, but I'm just not sure we need it. Everyone's well. entitled to their opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, so looking at uh, Portimao, then we're going to be uh, racing at Portimao this this weekend. Um, the race last year was was really interesting for like eight laps, and then it kind of settled down. Do you think we're going to get something a bit different this weekend? Um, I'm not sure we will, you know, because. 
Well, it, it may be. The difference last year was it was a brand new sur a surface to the racetrack, which was very low grip. It was colder temperatures as well, I think. Mm. And it was all, I mean, as it often is, it was a, it was all around tyres, wasn't yeah. it? And um, people were having to eke out stints of tyres. And I suspect we might end up with, with something similar uh, this weekend. Although the temperatures are higher, there's a little bit more grip in the circuit. Mm. I still think Pirelli maybe have been a little bit conservative with their uh, tyre choice, perhaps. And, um, and I think it could well lead to, to a less than exciting uh, element to the Grand Prix. Having said that, you know, we've had a number of races, both the last couple of this year, uh, the first couple of this year and the last few of last year, where, you know, if you'd looked at all the elements, you could easily have written them all off and said, look, this could be a really dull race. And they haven't been. Mm. There's been something that's brought them to life. Uh, whether it's uh, restarts or safety cars or, or, or whatever, a crash or whatever. So it feels like at the moment that Formula One's in a really good place because stuff like that's happening. Young drivers are trying to prove themselves. Um, you know, we've got a really tight battle for the front, so every point counts. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't write it off at all. In fact, I don't think I'd ever write off a Formula One race because anything can happen. And it usually does. <laughs> um, and it usually does. But I think, um, yeah, one thing I would say is it's a slight shame that Pirelli haven't gone a little bit more aggressive with their tyre choice, mm -hmm. which might have opened up a, a few more aggressive strategies. If you Yeah, like. and they've added another DRS zone, haven't they, I think? Yeah, they have, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. see. Um, so have you got a prediction for the for the year? Well, we'll say the year because obviously we, you know, we, we we'll we'll look long long term. It's very difficult, yeah. isn't it? Um, I mean, I would like to see uh, Max Verstappen finally get a, a win, a championship win. I, I think not only would it sort of reinvigorate uh, the Formula One, you know, world yeah. because a lot of people. I mean, I'm a huge uh, Lewis Hamilton fan, but a lot of people are getting tired of the same guy winning every mm -hmm. year. Um, so I think that would be that would spice things up. I think it would also help to really spice up that relationship between Max Verstappen and Red Bull, yeah. which, you know, if he's forever the bridesmaid and never the bride, how long will that go on for? So if you can get a win, then great. Um, but most of all, I just want to see the two of them, you know, ring it out right until the end. That would be the best outcome, wouldn't it? And then ultimately, I don't really mind who. Yeah, wins. That's, that's again, something we always say. We, we don't care who wins. If, if Lewis wins again, you know, it's great that he's got the eighth. But as long as it's a, a tough battle on the way, that's that's all yeah. real kind of the fans want want to see, isn't it? Exactly. And and actually, do you know, I'm, I'm almost certain in saying that Lewis would prefer that as well. You know, I think he would prefer to have a proper race on his mm -hmm. hands other than just with his teammate which is the only real competitor he's had over the last few years I think he'd enjoy that and I'm sure Max would as well they're all racers aren't yeah. they at the end of the day they want to go wheel to wheel racing like they were doing when they were karting mm -hmm. which is what they what got them into the sport in the first place and that's one thing that they often these are racing drivers don't forget they often miss some of that proper old school racing and you know, if we can get some of that back this year, it'd be great. Next year, we hope we've got a set of regulations and new cars and everything that should entice or bring in a little bit more of mm. that. So I, I think there's plenty to be excited about with the future of Formula One. Yeah, uh, we're, we're looking forward to next year's car. The cars look look beautiful. Well, you know, we've only seen the models so far. Um, what what are your yeah. thoughts on the regulations? Will it will it uh, kind of push for that closer racing? Do you think? Well, the, the theory's all good. You know, it does all make sense. Um, everything they're saying about it, everything that's been fed into the design process feels good. Um, but you, ultimately, you'll never know until you get cars on the racetrack. Mm. And um, one thing I will say is that they've worked really closely this time with the teams yeah. uh, in designing this car. So it's it's not just being the FIA laying down some rules and then the teams will go and set work around getting around them. 
teams have been integral in designing these rules to try and even at this stage wipe out some of those potential loopholes so that for me is a really big positive and um you know might get us closer to the intended target mm -hmm. than otherwise might have happened yeah I, I agree with you i completely agree with you yeah it's uh, I'm looking forward to the races. Uh, hope it, hopefully, it's going to be bring some nice, nice battles next year. And hopefully, well, hopefully, we'll see a Lewis uh, Max kind of competition for it. Obviously, it's up in the air at the moment whether he's going to be in the sport. But he obviously mentioned yesterday in the press uh, on the press day that he was, you know, planning to be here next year. Uh, do you think he'll be here next year? I think most of the drivers are going to be too intrigued with next year's, you know, such a big set of reg changes mm -hmm. to not be here, given if they've got the opportunity. You know, I think um, I think that that will be a big pull because it's such a departure from everything that they've gone, you know, before, and yet it's what the future of Formula One, at least for our foreseeable future, is going to be. So if you've never experienced that, you've you sort of missed out. So I think that uh, that he'll probably want to stay for at least one more. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think he's probably got a couple more in him, but um, yeah, at least one more for, to see what the cars are like. Um, yeah. Okay, well, I, I know obviously you've got places to be, but I've got one kind of one more question for you. Out of all of the, the all, all of your whole career, whether it's Wheeler Dealers, whether it's you know the stuff that you did in the past with McLaren, what would you pick as your number one highlight? A apart from obviously joining us on the Everything F1 podcast, that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is up yeah, there. This thanks. is right up there. Um, I would say, uh, can I have two? Yeah, okay. Um, oh God, I do you know what? I could pick three. <laughs> Just carry on. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, it's it's very hard not to pick the that moment we talked about earlier in Brazil in two thousand eight. I think that's almost never ever going to be repeated, and to have been there was incredible. So that's got to be up there. I'd say the moment that I got my job in at McLaren was another massive highlight, mm -hmm. and the other race win that stands out massively for me was a year with Kimi in two thousand five when we won that race in Suzuka. Uh, which you, you may remember we started uh, I think in 17th yeah and only on the very last lap of the race he managed to get past Fisichella uh, to take the win so having started so far back mm -hmm. because of a qualifying uh, it was raining in qualifying and uh, and when we went out we got the worst of the conditions so we're all the way at the back to find our way right through the field uh, was an incredible moment for us as a little group you know I said we had this really tight bond as a a team and driver pairing yeah. there uh, to get that result on that day from the, uh, the adversity of, of where we'd started was um, definitely a career highlight that I'll, I'll never forget. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for, for coming to join us today. Um, I, 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 I could pleasure. probably speak to you for hours. Um, <laughs> did you want to promote your, your YouTube or any, anything that you wanted to promote before we, you, we go? Yeah, you can find me on YouTube. You can just search F1 Elvis. Um, that's all my social channels are F1 Elvis. Same with YouTube. Uh, the book is called The Mechanic, uh, available in all good bookshops and Amazon, wherever you like. But yeah, that's pretty much covers it. Podcast is called uh, Pit Lane Life Lessons. Again, just search up Pit Lane Life Lessons, Life Lessons anyway. You can see it on my YouTube channel as well. So yeah, there's plenty of ways to find it. Yeah, you're, you're all over the internet. <laughs> well, well, thank you very much for, uh, being to, for coming to speak to me today, uh, Mark. It's been a, a, a real pleasure. And if we could maybe speak at the end of the season, that would be... Uh, That'd be fantastic. Sure I know you manage that. I know you're busy uh, now. So towards the end of the year, it might yeah, be a bit better. Drop me a line, mate. Yeah, no worries at all. Brilliant. Thank you, Mark. All right. Speak soon. Speak soon. Bye bye. Cheers. That was a great interview, wasn't it? Did you enjoy listening to uh, Mark's stories, uh, Coops? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's always been an interesting character. Uh, I've listened to him in a couple of other podcasts. I think he was on actually Glenn Freeman's from the race, uh, Bring Back the yeah. V10s. He was in talking about uh, his time with Kimi Raikkonen in a way back, looking in the mid 2000s and stuff. But yeah, he's definitely an interesting character, and you should go out and get a hold of his book, The Mechanic. Uh, it's a, a great read to hear all those stories as well. It's it's on my list to to, to definitely buy and, and and to read. It's it, I think it's like you know, three pound on Amazon if you've got a Kindle. So there's no excuse. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And he he was really good to talk to as well. Really down to earth. Uh, exactly what you want in a guest. We've we've been quite lucky actually. We've had some really good guests, uh, and they've all been very you know top blokes. You know, being very down to earth and very happy to talk to us. Uh, did you enjoy the uh, interview with uh, Mark uh, Sponge? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Obviously, a McLaren, very, uh, McLaren fan, you you probably uh, you were rooting on his team. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it was refreshing to to hear kind of both sides of the fence. Yeah. Um, some very interesting stories. Um, and yeah, thank you very much for him to to come on and speak to you. Yeah, absolutely, Danny. We've got a race coming up in Spain. Do you want to give us a preview of what we've got to come at the week uh, over the weekend? Uh, same as last weekend. <laughs> I think it's going to be a, a pretty boring weekend. I'm not getting excited because I did this weekend and then ended up nearly asleep. So, <laughs> let's, uh, yeah, we'll see. You never know. Apparently, it might rain. Um, fingers crossed. We all like a bit of rain. But, yeah, it's, it's, we'll see. I'm, I'm, I ain't getting excited for it until it's happening. <laughs> So, we're heading to the Circuit de Barcelona, Catalonia. The length of the race is 4.675 kilometres. Total race distance of 308.424 kilometres. And we're going to get 66 laps around that track. The first Grand Prix at that circuit was in 1991. The scheduled times for here in the UK, our free practice one would be on Friday at 10.30am to 11.30am. Free practice two on Friday at 2pm till 3pm. Free practice three, Saturday the 8th, uh, from 11am till 12pm. Uh, qualifying also Saturday are 2pm 2, 2 until 3pm. And then the race, the main the main event, at 2pm on Sunday. Let's discuss our expectations. Coops, predict your first, second, third, if there's going to be a DNF, um, and then how many finishes are to the race that you think there's going to be. Uh, well, there was only one retirement last year, and that was Charles Leclerc. Which I think was the whole controversy because he couldn't get the car restarted, took off his belts and then managed to drive round and people were saying he should have got into trouble, but he didn't. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm thinking maybe two retirements. First one, okay, I'm going to go for an Aston Martin. I think there'll be a wee bit of mix-up in the midfield. Uh, okay. So I'll say Stroll. Uh, it's going to be Verstappen, Perez and Hamilton uh, as the top three. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I don't. I just quickly googled the weather. There's eighty percent chance of rain on Sunday. Ooh! But I can't find it on the wee app that I was using there. I couldn't see what the times were. So there was no rain up until ten in the morning. So let's hope the rains in the afternoon. Let's hope it lingers. <laughs> yeah. So hope there's some rain. But yeah, never really expect much from Catalonia. It's a higher downforce circuit. They do a lot of testing there, so there's no surprises. Just no. The only thing they've changed is they've reprofiled turn ten, so it's no longer mm -hmm. a it's no longer a tight left hander. It's opened up, 
uh, a lot like the 1991 circuit. So there's one right. less passing opportunity in a track that has two passing opportunities. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Danny, make your predictions, please. I'm saying um, Hamilton, Verstappen, Perez. and First, first DNF? Well, there's plenty to pick from, isn't there? Really, I think it is going to be a yeah, an Aston Martin. I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say Stroll as well because I don't want it to be Vettel. <laughs> yeah, so, and Mazepin's so, going into the wall or going into something. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, and how many finishers do you think is going to? Uh, how many cars are going to finish the race? Um, eighteen. Okay, okay. Sponge, same questions for you. First, second, third, DNF. Finishers. First, I'm going for Hamilton. Second, I'm going Perez. Third, I'm going Verstappen. Okay. Um, Eighteen cars to finish. George Russell to get a point. And DNF. In fact, I'm not going to go for Mazepin not to finish. I'm going to say that he will finish the Portuguese Grand Prix by the end of the Spanish Grand Prix. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. That's my bombshell. Okay, uh, I'm gonna say <laughs> I'm gonna say Max Verstappen to win, which I don't usually say. I'm gonna say Max Verstappen to win. Um, I'm gonna say Lewis Hamilton second, and I'm gonna say Valtteri Bottas, Bottas third. I'm hoping for Orlando fourth. Um, well, I'm hoping for Orlando first, but I'll say Orlando fourth. Um, I think they will have a DNF. Well, I probably have a couple. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 17 finishers. Why not? Uh, and I think uh, the first DNF will be... Let's pick one out of the hat. Uh, I'll go for... Do you know what? I'm going to go for Alonso. Just because he's, yeah, he's going to be in there mixing it up and there's going to be some kind of kerfuffle. Another, is it going to be another sandwich wrapper, do you think? What, what, sam- <laughs> what sandwich is going to cause it? <laughs> it? Well, they're in Spain. It's going to have to be a chorizo sandwich, isn't it? A chorizo, yeah. Chicken and chorizo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those are our predictions. Let's uh, we'll, we'll by all means join in with the podcast next week to find out who was the closest, who predicted the closest. Uh, I think last week it was Gary that was the absolute closest, and then me very close behind uh, with the predictions, and then the rest of you, you just sucked. So, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. I don't think I put one in. I think I forgot. Oh, never mind. Well, you would have got it wrong anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, I came third. In our league for the for the for this weekend's fantasy league, by the way. So wow, beat the resties. I'm never going to do it for the rest of the year because I don't. Want, but you know, I've done it this time. Okay, well, that is our podcast for today. We hope you enjoyed, obviously, our rundown of the events that happened in Portimao, and of course, the perfect interview with uh, Mark Priestley. Uh, we're hoping to get him back on again towards the end of the year. Uh, he said he will. Uh, so thank you very much for him. Thank you very much from me, James Tiller. Thank you very much from Coops, Sponge, and Danny. Say bye-bye, lads. Bye-bye, lads. Bye-bye-bye. Okay, well, that's been us at Everything F1. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Stay tuned next week for our review of the Spanish Grand Prix, uh, and we might have another special guest for you too. We look forward to seeing you then. Bye-bye.